The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Alexandra Walsh. She's a licensed mental health counselor in Iowa and Florida. She's the owner of the mental health group practice, The Mad Therapy, and creator of the mental health hub, The Mad Beyond. She's mad about providing therapy to survivors of abuse. She has specialized training and experience working with people in narcissistic or pathological love relationships, navigating a relationship with a personality disordered person, and healing from emotional, psychological, and narcissistic abuse. She works with those recovering from these dynamics with their spouse, family members, co-workers and friends. Alexandra understands personally and professionally what it takes to heal from these specific forms of trauma and helps others to find their path to health and healing. Through her virtual courses, speaking engagements and free resources, she helps the larger population gain more knowledge, find their voice, step into their power and heal from these specific forms of trauma and abuse. Today we'll explore the all-too-common feeling of self-doubt arising from relationships with narcissists. If you have ever been in a relationship with a narcissist or are in one now, know that feeling doubt and confusion is a normal reaction. Together, we'll delve into five powerful strategies shared by Alexander Walsh to help you reclaim your confidence and understand that you are not alone on this journey. Since we are focusing on overcoming self-doubt caused by narcissistic abuse, I have prepared two free resources for you. The first PDF, The Affirmation Exercise for Overcoming Self-Doubt, includes a mini-exercise to help you find your power word or phrase, something that can inspire you daily. The second PDF, Overcoming the Self-Doubt Bundle with Therapist Insights, offers clips from mental health experts and practical journaling exercises to guide you through the process. Many in our community have found these resources helpful, and I hope you will too. You'll find links to these PDFs in the podcast notes. Now, let's dive into our interview with Alexandra Walsh on overcoming self-doubt. Hi, Alexandra Walsh. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great, great. And I'm excited about our discussion today because we have an important topic. So let me get started with it right away. And our question for today is, could you provide five actionable strategies for overcoming the self-doubt that narcissistic abuse creates? And for each strategy, could you walk us through how to implement it into our daily lives and explain the reason each strategy works? Absolutely. I'm really excited to talk about this topic. It's so pervasive. I don't think anybody who's in a relationship with a narcissist, whether that be a parent, a sibling, a coworker, a friend, a partner, walks away without some level of doubt about themselves, about the world, and how to navigate it post-trauma, essentially. So my first one is being able to build your supports before, regardless of where you're at in your narcissistic relationship, whether that's you're in the middle of it, you're just beginning it, you're just starting to see it, or you've been out of it, being able to have your social supports is going to be 
huge in helping you heal and create healthier relationships in the future. So when we're talking about your supports, these are the people that you really feel like see you, that you really feel like hear you, that they know you to your core. And I don't care if this is one person or 10 people, but we at least need one who really gets us because while we have or had a relationship where there's constant gaslighting and manipulation and self-doubt and crazy making, your supports are the very thing that can help ground you back into the reality of who you really are and what the reality really is when that self-doubt kicks in. So one way to really make sure that we know who our supports is, um, because it can feel very overwhelming sometimes to even think about letting somebody into your world if you have no one. Because sometimes that's the case for people, depending on the level of abuse and how long they've been in it. So when you're around other people, practice rating on a scale of one to 10, one being completely drained, tired, not um, connected or engaged, don't feel uh, recharged at all after an interaction with someone to 10 being completely recharged. Now you might be tired, like uh, we went skiing and I'm physically exhausted, but I feel so charged. I feel excited. I can't wait to see them again. I really feel seen. I really feel like they get me. I feel connected. This will help kind of guide you in the direction of who are your people, who are your supports and being intentional then with building into the people and building into the relationships and making sure you're creating space for those people. Um, so that way you have your support to fall back on. Mm, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And thank you for like describing the kind of the spectrum. Like how does it actually feel when you're around people who make you feel seen and then how you might, how might one feel if they are around people who do the opposite? So I think that's important to know. And so you mentioned that this is important because it reminds you and grounds you to the reality whenever the self-doubt kicks in. So, mm -hmm. so is that the really, like when we really talk about, um, the overcoming the self-doubt that can you talk like, uh, highlight this more like, um, so how exactly having those supportive people ground you to the reality and wh why mm -hmm. is it so important? When we're just starting to build up our self-confidence, being able to accept who we are, being able to love who we are, we're going to need people. We're going to need cheerleaders along the way. While we're trying to fill our own bucket, we need some people who are going to help us understand and remind us of who we are because for so long we've been told we're a terrible, awful, horrible person, right? That doesn't understand reality. And we're so out of touch that having those people that are going to remind us that no, 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 you're okay. You're a good person. You're kind, you're loving, you're smart. is going to be really helpful as we build up these other tools to be able to do that on our own with less validation or reminders from the outside. Mm, yeah, thank you. I'm also thinking, like you also mentioned that uh, depending on the abuse you went through, that some one might be really isolated. So mm -hmm. it, it could be possible that someone is like, just coming out of a relationship with a narcissistic person or is uh, currently in the relationship with a narcissistic person. Um, that they really don't have anyone. And then if you combine that with the self-doubt and the self-doubting mm -hmm. thoughts could be anything, for example, just, um, you know, that I, I, I don't think I can interact with other people because you have been isolated for so long. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I'm t thinking someone who 
here's this advice that, okay, start to build up your support system and even one person. And then they, the self-doubt is stopping them to take the first step to even reaching out to anybody. Do you have any like advice for someone who is in this situation where the reaching out to even one person seems either that there is not there is that there is no one person to reach out to mm-hmm. and then it will require a lot of courage to reach out to someone completely new because you have mm-hmm. the self-doubt and mm-hmm. some other stuff as well probably going on other negative thinking maybe mm-hmm. so any th- thoughts about this yeah the beautiful thing is that you don't have to reach out to someone completely new while you might have been isolated from all your supports, my guess is that there's at least one person you can go back to, right? And say, I really felt safe with this person, my this friend, this coworker, this parent, this sibling. That I really feel like a, a therapist, right? If all else fails, a support group, an online support group, if being in person feels like too much, right? You don't need to start with a brand new person if that's where you're at and you want to, or you feel like that's the easiest approach, by all means, go for it. But part of it might be reflecting back and saying, who were my people before this began? Or who were some of the people that I am no longer in touch with that I'm not really sure I ever didn't want to not be in touch with yet here I am. And how do I open that door to start building that connection back up with that person? Um, So it doesn't have to be someone entirely new. You can get flexible and creative. It can be online if in-person feels like too much. It can be in-person. It can be in a group setting. It can be one-on-one. It can be um, a family member. It can be a friend, a coworker. It can be a stranger. Start somewhere. And your first pick might not be that person, right? You might get it wrong. or You might pick somebody that's a really good support, but isn't that support that you're looking for. That's okay. We just need to start building up the supports. You can get it imperfect. It can be messy. And that's where that rating scale can help you really look at. Because a lot of times what I hear from like my clients and other survivors is that I can reach out to somebody, but how do I, how do I know I can trust them? Oh my gosh. Like the idea of letting someone in and trusting them, like ones if they're just like my narcissist, right? That rating scale is going to help give you a kind of guiding post of how do I really feel? Is this really a safe person? And if not, I know when to disconnect and disengage. If they're on those lower levels, one, two, three, four, five is like a yellow flag. Ask more questions. Is this your person, right? If they're lower, you know that that's not your person. Try someone else. If they're in the higher levels, five, six, seven, ask more questions, eight, nine, 10, definitely shoe in. So that's your social support. Lean into them, build that relationship, keep fostering it. Make sure you're making space for that person. Mm, mm. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so this was one of the strategies when we are trying to overcome the self-doubt. Do you have any other strategies for this? Yes. So just like we need to hear other people's voices reaffirming the truth about who we are, we also need to practice reaffirming our own voice of who we are. And the very first step, I think, to doing that is being able to identify what is your authentic voice? So often with self-doubt, so much of our inner dialogue is not actually our voice at all. It's actually the voice of our narcissist or other past critical people, even if they weren't narcissists, right? Critical or emotionally abusive or manipulating people that we have now internalized and, and made our own, 
we've identified so much with it that we've now internalized it and we think it's our voice when it's not actually our voice at all. And so being able to decipher what's yours and what's theirs and name it for what it is can be really helpful. So my strategy for this would be create three columns on a piece of paper, preferably writing it out is really great. Three columns. Your first column is what is the inner dialogue? Like, what is the statement that you're saying to yourself? I'm not enough. I'm stupid. I'm uh, no one cares about me. All right. Write those things down. Who said that to you? Whose voice is that? Name it. Right. It's Joe's. It's Diane's, right? Whatever their name is. And then on the third column, begin to state what the context is, what the reality of that is. So for example, our first column is um, you're being so dramatic, right? Our second column is your partner, Joe, said that to you, right? Your third column is, well, I found Joe talking inappropriately online with another woman. And so I confronted him about it. And he said I was being so dramatic to dismiss and diminish my feelings, right? Now we have a fuller picture of what's going on. We've placed that thought outside of ourselves because it's not actually our voice saying that somebody else's that we've incorporated into our self-talk and gives you space to really see that one sentence for really where it resides in your life and in the reality of what's happening in the relationship. Mm, yeah, thank you so much. That was really practical, you know, exercise yeah. uh, that anybody can do right now. Uh, I'm uh, as when you said said that uh, exercise, my thought was that especially when if you are in the environment that's very manipulative and mm -hmm. there's a lot of gaslighting going on and your self doubt is really high, that I'm just um, and I, I remember myself doing uh, exercises like these and I always wrote down like a thought and then who said it to me. And then I would be like, when doing the third column, I would be like, okay, yeah, I can, you know, look at the context where, where this situation happened. I can understand my own, you know, why, why I behaved or said, uh, behaved in a certain f way or felt in a certain way. But then mm -hmm. it's like, because the self-doubt is so high that when I come to the third column, even yeah. though I can write it down, I can still be like, well, they have a point or, you know, it, it could be the mm -hmm. way they are saying, or mm -hmm. like, like the, the, the third column, that's the hardest because there the self-doubt like is. So is that like, I, I don't know, like that, I remember that sometimes made me anxious because I was like, well, I don't know if it's, if it's, if it's mm -hmm. the um when i'm writing this third column like yeah i could say that this is my truth but then somehow i got stuck to that because i was like how do i know if this is the mm -hmm. quote-unquote real truth but is it does it even matter does it just need to be your truth or do you have any like advice for someone who gets stuck with the third column i think so many survivors find themselves in from my experience survivors tend to be very and from research even backs it survivors tend to be very agreeable uh so they're very uh, they're compromising and they want to work with you and they're understanding and they're empathetic right and they're also uh in the high above average range in conscientiousness so they want to solve problems and they want they're goal oriented and they're self-directed and they can um really invest a lot in a goal and their problem isn't persevering through hard times, it's knowing when to walk away. 
And so part of, I think, survivors is recognizing that your reality is your reality. And that's okay. In situations where you think your partner or parent or whoever is a narcissist or is even highly emotionally manipulative or or immature, is self-doubt is your kryptonite, right? And giving the benefit of the doubt to them is exactly the thing that is not serving you in this unhealthy relationship. With a healthy person, right? Being able to give them the benefit of the doubt is a really beautiful, wonderful thing that we want to have. That's a good thing to do. When you're with someone who is emotionally abusive, who's a narcissist, that is the very thing they're relying on you to do to continue. Because the dangerous part about emotional abuse or psychological abuse is that your abuser doesn't even need to be there for you to continue that abuse. So when you're in that third column and you're going, well, is that the reality? Well, I could see how they would see it that way, right? We are turning that part off. <laughs> like That is not allowed in the third column. The third column is your reality. And if it helps stick to evidence, if you're a detective, what happened? If you are in a court, right? Like what happened? So in my example, right? Uh, he was caught being unfaithful and you confronted him and any normal person would probably be highly emotional. That's not the same as dramatic, right? And regardless, you're allowed to have high emotions. Period. Mm -hmm. What someone did to you is painful. What someone did to you is wrong. We don't need to justify it. We don't need to try and say our behavior should have been different. We can do that at a later time when we're healing and working on other relationships that are healthy and safe to do that in. If you're in this stage and you're working on self-doubt and you're in a relationship like this, your job is to stay focused on what your reality is because they will try and throw you off any form of reality other than their own any day. If it helps, reality is how I define reality is anything that cannot be changed just because you want it to be changed. If that seems more bearable to kind of digest and take in, what's the reality that can't be changed just because you want it to be changed? Live there. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Great. So the first one was the support. Now the second one was reaffirming your own voice and kind of di discovering what is your authentic voice because we have many might have many voices in our head so yeah what is the what is the third mm -hmm. third strategy for overcoming right. self-doubt so i'm gonna not i'm not gonna lie to you coming up with only five was real hard so some of these have like <laughs> uh a part a part b this is one of them so oh, great. recognizing the self-doubt and its impact. So we have to be able to spot it when it's happening, right? <laughs> Otherwise, we can't do anything about it. If it's just on autopilot, what are we going to do with that, right? Like, it's just part of who we are, which for a lot of people, that's where we start. Like, it is just autopilot. This is just where we're at. So we have to be able to recognize when the self-doubt and the distorted self-perceptions are coming in. So... One way that people can practice that is by writing a letter to themselves. Or if a letter feels too much, we're not a writer, write uh, columns, right? Like, how would you describe yourself? How would you describe the situation you're in? What are those thoughts about your world and yourself that are going on, right? Write them all down, step away from them, and then come back and read them to yourself. 
right? I am not enough. You are not enough. Nothing you do is right. You are um, a piece of right? Like depending on the level of abuse we're experiencing, that's probably going to be different. For some people, that's enough to kind of snap them, right? Go, holy saying this stuff to myself this whole time. Wow. Wow. Ouch. Holy Mm. smokes, right? For some people, this is not enough. And so for the people that this isn't enough for, something you can do to take it a step further is in your head, right? Still do the writing it out. What are the things you heard? What is, uh, how would you describe yourself? How would you describe the situation? And still do all that. And then take some time away from it. Come back. Imagine someone that you really, really love. Someone you really care about that you just think so positively of, you want the best for. Picture them in your head. Do not actually read this to them, right? But picture them in your head and read back everything you said as if it's, Instead of it being said to you, it's being said to them. So if it's, I'm not enough, it's you're not enough. If it's, uh, you're being dramatic, it's you're being dramatic, right? A lot of people, I, I have yet to have somebody say, yes, I would totally say that to this person I really love. So for a lot of people, this can be a really big eye opener to say, wow, I would never say that to somebody I love. And I, I would never even think to say something like that to somebody I love. So if I would never even think to say or even think those thoughts about somebody I love, why are we thinking them? Why are we saying them to ourselves? Why are we allowing them to be said to ourselves, right? Take that another step further. And would you allow, if you were a witness, right? Would you allow this person you love to be spoken to this way? A lot of survivors would say, no way. I would step in and be like, what are you doing? You can't talk to them that way, right? Or I'd say to them, you don't deserve to be spoken to that way. What's That's not acceptable, but we struggle sometimes to apply that same standard or that same level of respect to ourselves because of the level of um, abuse that's occurred and how insidious and slowly it chips away at that. So that can be a really helpful way to just start identifying those things. The next step is understanding the impact of the self-doubt. So what are the Again, I'm big on journaling and writing, right? Self-doubt is really tapping in to the inner world, which isn't always so concrete. So journaling is a way to get it a little bit more concrete, a little bit more tangible. We can see it. Um, But journaling about what, how would life be different if you believed different things about yourself? If you didn't believe this thought that you were dramatic, that you weren't enough, that it was all your fault, what would you do different? What job opportunity have you passed up? What raise have you not asked for? What friendship have you uh, neglected? What um, uh, what uh, opportunities in your romantic relationship have you um, missed out on? How long have you stayed in a relationship that you didn't deserve to be in because you deserve something better? All because we believe these thoughts about ourselves, this distorted reality about ourselves. And there is probably going to be a high level of grief and anger and sadness and confusion that's going to accompany that process. But being able to understand the impact of the self-doubt is going to be really detrimental to giving you the motivation to understand why it's so important to change it. Because we can get stuck in this pattern of this is just the way it is. And not understanding that the self-doubt is holding us back from the life that we really deserve and want at the end of the day. Mm, Yeah, thank you. 
that that was great um I, I especially resonate with like yeah it gives you this momentum like oh i need to change just this simple switch of thinking like how like a visualization a different outcome like different mm -hmm. reality which is totally um achievable if you just Absolutely. <laughs> like uh, yeah like start to switch your thinking the mm -hmm. one biggest thing i have noticed that uh, i myself has struggled and um hearing from others is the consistency like we have yeah. we sometimes we have those great days and we are able to you know be, speak mm -hmm. kindly to ourselves and then we engaging this i don't know in uh, mm -hmm. in this different way of talking to ourselves but then it just you know we go to back to the old patterns of thinking yeah. uh, that are harmful for us any tips on maintaining this consistency or have you seen like mm -hmm. a similar thing happening that people are first they start and then they you know slowly go back to the absolutely old ways. everybody's human right like you're not gonna just decide i'm gonna talk nicer than myself and all of a sudden you are every day you never have a bad day it's always easy you're never believing these distortions or these lies they are going to creep up on you like that's the long-term impact unfortunately of this type of trauma is they are going to creep up on you you're going to have bad days you're going to have days where you're really beating yourself up or you're doubting yourself or you're letting the self-doubt drive the car, right? Like it's dictating where you go and how you're going. And uh, sometimes your good day is simply saying, I'm having a hard day today. Like just being able to put it in the context of a little bit outside of you, right? Instead of being like, I'm not enough. Yep, you're right. You're not enough saying, ooh, today is a rough day. Today, I'm really doubting myself today. I'm really not talking nice to myself. Today's a rough day. And that's okay. That is self-compassion. That is empathy. That is giving yourself the space to be human and to allow yourself permission to have a better day tomorrow. That's okay. Just keep going. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So this was the step number three, like recognize the self-doubt and become aware of it. And you, you gave good tips, like how to actually do this in the, in the mm -hmm. first place. And in practice, is there something else in the step three or, or can we jump That's to just the... twofold? We can move to the next. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. What is the fourth then? <laughs> the fourth is separating confidence and narcissism. Can narcissists be overly confident? Absolutely. That's one of the trademarks of it, right? Can you be confident and not be a narcissist? Absolutely. That's okay too, right? Healthy levels of confidence are healthy. Unhealthy levels lead to things like narcissism, right? They're being overly cocky. And for a lot of survivors, we've experienced the narcissist. And so we all we almost always kind of fall to this other end of like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be anything like them. So I have to be everything different from them, which means I'm not allowed to recognize my strengths. I'm not allowed to brag about my accomplishments, which you should. I'm not about to allowed to celebrate uh, the things I do well, right? I'm not allowed to be good at something even or say I'm good at something because then I might be narcissistic. That's not true. So we need to be able to live in this realm of there is narcissism and there is confidence and there is a place where they overlap. And there's also a place where they're completely separate. You're allowed to have confidence and being able to untangle the two to understand that when I'm celebrating a win, when I'm recognizing I'm really good at something, 
does not mean I'm being narcissistic. I think it's going to be really helpful in your healing journey. I think a really great way to do this depends again, where you're at in overcoming the self-doubt. If we're really feeling like, I don't even know, I don't even know what I'm good at. I don't even know what my strength is. Again, your supports come into play. What have your supports said about you in the past? What are, if we're starting with no supports, right? Do you have a job? What have your jobs review been? What have they said about you in that position, right? What have you do have supports? Ask them, how would you describe me? What do you think I'm good at, right? If you're in therapy, ask your therapist. They should probably already be giving you that anyway, but just in case, right? Ask, ask your family, start building in those words, write them down. You will forget them, write them down, right? Or it will feel hard to recall in the moments of really thick self-doubt. If that feels uh, too hard or we don't have those supports, another thing you can do is look at your accomplishments. What have you done well? I don't care if you're 50 years old and you're like, I was a really good high school baseball player. Cool. That's pretty cool. Awesome. Write that down, right? There's nothing too small and there's nothing too big to be added to this list of evidence of what you're good at and where your strengths are. I'm a really good friend. I'm really good at baseball. I'm really good at my job. I, uh, I'm good at taking care of my pet, right? I'm really empathetic. I can see other people's perspectives, right? What are the things you're good at? Being able to really highlight those, write them down for the days we forget and allow yourself, give yourself permission to feel confidence and recognize that that isn't necessarily narcissism. Likely, if you're worrying about if you're narcissistic, you're probably not narcissistic, Mm -hmm. for the record. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Separating confidence and narcissism. And uh, I was also thinking that what are your thoughts about like, why especially this number four, why this strategy in overcoming self-doubt works? I think it works because we we all need confidence. Confidence is a healthy trait. We need to be able to have some of it. It's when, and so is narcissism for the record. A healthy level of narcissism is okay. Narcissism lives on a spectrum, right? When we're in the like unhealthy levels, that's where it becomes problematic. And we have these tumultuous relationships, but there is a small degree of healthy narcissism that we can have. Same with any other personality trait openness, extroversion, introversion, right? Agreeableness, conscientiousness. There's a healthy level to every single trait. Everything lives on a spectrum. And so if we're in this place of, I can't feel confident, I'm not allowed to feel good about myself. I'm not allowed to recognize and celebrate my wins. Well, that's how we grow with anything, literally anything, right? We need successes in order to keep us motivated to go. That's why like New Year's resolutions don't work because we're usually like, by the end of the year, I'm going to have lost 30 pounds. Well, that's a really nice goal. That's a really big goal. But what about the little tiny goals along the way, right? Like what about celebrating the little wins along the way? We need to be able to do that and lean into that to continue to grow and foster this positive self-talk to combat the self-doubt and to really lean into a healthier self-esteem. Mm, yeah thank you so much what about the number five so number five i've two separated this one for you as well (laughs) is really number five is get to know you who are you for a lot of survivors we've essentially shrunk ourselves in order to avoid abuse 
in order to comply, in order to make them happy, in order to keep the peace. And so for a lot of survivors coming out, we might be thinking, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what I like. Like, do I like bananas? I don't know. I was told I do, right? Or I don't like bananas. I don't know. I was told I don't like bananas. Do I not like like it, things that seem rather insignificant feel paralyzing. I don't really know who I am. I don't know what I like to do for fun. I don't know what fills me up. I don't, I don't know. So being able to get to know who you are and being able to allow yourself permission to expand and take up some space is going to be really, really helpful. So one thing which can be both terrifying, terrifying and exciting is experimenting, right? Who are you? What do you like? We're not going to know until we try things, right? So you think you don't like bananas? Go buy a banana and try it and ask yourself, do I like, do I like bananas, right? You have a tradition in your family. Do you like that tradition? What do you think of that tradition, right? There's a way that, um, I mean, even from things like we shop at this store, do you want to shop at that store? Is that just what you've been told of where you're supposed to shop, right? It can be things from, do I agree with this moral issue? Do I believe, agree with this uh, religious ideation? Do I believe in this political, uh, uh, these political ideas to smaller things like, do I like a banana and do I want to shop at this store? Ask yourself questions, get curious and get comfortable with going against the grain. Mm-hmm. Discomfort is often signs the soil for growth. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, so get to know you by experimenting. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Um, why this get to know yourself uh, strategy when we are trying to overcome self doubt like works when we are trying to overcome mm-hmm. self doubt? We can't have self love, self acceptance without self knowing. If I don't even know who I am, how can I accept myself? If I don't even know who I am, how can I love myself? Right? I don't know what I'm loving. I don't know what I'm accepting, right? Mm. So getting to tap into who am I and really decipher who that is is going to be really helpful. The second part of this fifth step is not only experimenting but then trusting your answer. Right? That radically accepting for, I'm going to radically accept that the answer I've come to is true for me. And until new information is presented to me, that will be true. Until I have a banana that I don't like, I'm going to assume that I like all bananas. I'm going to radically accept that that's true. It's also not only trusting your answers to the questions you're asking yourself, but trusting your instincts, your guts, the energy, the vibes, whatever you want to call it. For a lot, I don't for almost all the survivors I've worked with, the issue was never that they didn't spot the warning signs. It was that they were taught to not trust their gut. They were taught to ignore it. So the problem was never that you didn't have this internal compass already within you is that you were taught to ignore it. So as hard, as scary as it might be, when you have that gut feeling of, I don't think I want to try that new thing, or I don't think this person's for me, or I don't feel comfortable here, or I just feel off, the vibe's off, I don't want to be here. Trust it and then see what happens and make space to really ask yourself, what happened? When I trusted my gut, what happened? Because our gut is usually only going to record, our brain is only going to record times that our gut throws us off. And it's going to ignore the times, all, all the times our gut was right, because that's what we've been conditioned to do. 
So give yourself space to trust your answers, radically accept that they're true as hard as it may be. And that might be radically accepting it's true every 30 seconds for the record and radically accepting that our gut, our intuition, the energy, the vibes are going to push us in the right direction because I really do believe that had survivors listened to their gut that was always there and not fallen prey to the manipulation that eroded that um, ability to listen and trust our gut, not get rid of it, but listen to it. I think we might have made different choices earlier on. And I think it's time to build that back in. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much. That was, that was, um, that makes a lot of sense. And I was also thinking uh, what I have heard and also um, experienced that once you get to know you and you start like in general, just healing from uh, mm -hmm. your, like from the narcissistic abuse, um, I'm thinking about all the steps that we have now talked about today when overcoming the self-doubt. So you said the support, what what really is your support system and like who are the people there and stuff like that. Then you said reaffirm your own voice. What is your authentic voice even? And then recognize the self-doubt and become aware of it. Then separate confidence and narcissism and, you know, mm -hmm. celebrate those small victories along the way. Like look about, uh, look at your own accomplishments and five get to know you and you can do this by experimenting and trusting your answers to your own questions in the process of doing all this and especially when we are dealing with that it's the self-doubt but in the process mm -hmm. of doing all these steps we might actually notice that we um like old like uh, our old connections and relationships even if it's not the abusive relationship but just mm -hmm. some old ones like they, like we, for example, we no longer, like we, for example, recognize that we need to cut out some, some people who are more, let's say below the five and Absolutely. maybe deciding with the abuser and stuff like that. Or you just notice yourself that the cir your cir circle becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> and maybe there's a time when, where there is no one yet because you're in the middle of starting to build the support which Absolutely. is the number one uh all this because it's just, it's the self-doubt that we are dealing with and if you notice yourself like your so social circle for example shrinking that can create more self-doubt like am i doing something <laughs> wrong that like people mm -hmm. are going away even though you in some way you kind of sense that okay i'm i know this might be actually good for me but yes. You know, it's not the first time that, for example, some friends of mine have, you know, contacted me and said that I have changed and they are no longer interested yeah. in, uh, you know, being in touch or like they are being very confused. And then I'm just, uh, it creates a self-doubt in a way. And I know mm -hmm. I'm not the only one. So any advice like how yeah. to trust your process because mm -hmm. you're actually doing the right things, but then the... Yeah outside world external world is not yet it, it might react negatively first or quote unquote negative sure. so any tips how do you trust sure. your process sometimes things have to fall apart to come together and so being able to allow the mess of growth is going to be really helpful and separating that people are allowed to be upset with you people are allowed to not understand people are allowed to disagree people are allowed to 
push back against your boundaries. We don't like any of that, right? That doesn't feel good, but that is not the indicator for whether what we're doing is right or wrong for us. That compass that we're talking about is within. And that's where that radical acceptance piece comes into play is that I'm going to choose to radically accept this, right? And I can I can be flexible, I can adapt, and I can uh, change my mind as new information comes in. But usually survivors aren't struggling with flexibility. Flexibility and that adaptability is actually the very thing that was preyed upon in an emotionally abusive or psychologically abusive relationship with a narcissist. So for a lot of these survivors, it's actually swinging more towards the middle of less flexibility and more internalized guide rather than looking outward, which is what we've been doing to figure out what direction I should take. It's going, what, what do I want to take? What is my gut telling me? What's the vibe telling me? What's the energy telling me and trusting it and giving yourself permission to say, I'm really scared, but I'm going to give myself trust. I'm going to trust that I can, I can do this and until, because we can't prove trust. We only know if trust exists until trust is broken, right? So we're going to give ourselves trust. We're going to say, I'm going to trust myself. And until I've proven to myself that I can't trust myself anymore, right? Because I have given it and I trusted my gut and it led me astray. Then I'm going to decide what to do with it. But until I'm going to radically accept that my gut, my intuition, my knowing is right for me. And that might mean that I'm going to lose people along the way because it's not for them. But that doesn't mean I should be doing anything different. I just need to find the people who understand me, connect with me, and are in my circle. Because while that circle might get smaller, it's also going to get a whole lot richer. Thank you so much, Alexander Walsh, for today. No yeah, I really liked all these steps that you outlined for us today. And I think this, it, this was really helpful and practical and insightful. So I want to thank everyone for listening. And thank you so much one more time, Alexander Walsh, for coming here and uh sharing your knowledge it's really appreciated thank you thank you for having me i hope it's helpful in everyone's healing journey the road is hard but you will get there just keep walking if you have enjoyed this episode please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode